Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, listeners. I want to thank our good friends at Slipped Disc for their enthusiastic support of Speaking Soundly. Be sure to check out slipdisc.com for the latest inside information on classical music now. Oh, and while you're here, could you do me a favor? If you like this show, follow it. That's it. It's pretty simple, really, and it's free. Just click the follow button on whatever podcast app you're listening to right now. And if you already follow Speaking Soundly, thank you. But there's still something you can do to help out. Click the share podcast button and send Speaking Soundly to your friends and relatives that also like listening to candid and inspiring conversations with some of the best musicians on the planet. Okay, so thanks for the continued support. We really appreciate it. And I hope you enjoy this episode. Jess Gillum is a trailblazing saxophone virtuoso whose meteoric rise to fame has taken the music world by storm. She's the youngest and first ever saxophonist to be signed to the prestigious Decca Classics label, where her genre-bending albums have both hit number one on the UK classical chart and are as varied as the captivating sounds she can produce on the instrument. The thing is with the saxophone is it can imitate crying, wailing, sighing, all the kind of human elements, but then it also has a really hard edge. The fact that you can give a rip-roaring solo that's like piercing people's ears at the back of a concert hall, or you can whisper with it. You're listening to Speaking Soundly, a backstage pass to today's biggest stars of the music world. I'm your host, David Krause, principal trumpet of the Metropolitan Opera. During each episode, you'll hear me speak with inspiring performers about their creative process and the personal journey that led them to the stage. I really enjoy listening to your recordings because you play a wide range of music, but no matter what you're playing, it just sounds like you're having the best time doing it. How do you manage to get that feeling in everything that you play, that joy and that exuberance? Well, that's very kind. I'm 
I'm glad you hear that because I think that's definitely what I aim for in a lot of my performing and recording. And I think that comes from probably where I started saxophone because I started in a carnival centre in Cumbria where I'm from. And that was all about uh, fun, community, kind of a very, I suppose, quite an informal route into music. I wasn't learning saxophone technique until I was a bit older. It was kind of the power of music first and then learn to play the instrument to catch up with what it can do. Of course, you need to have the basis of all the technicalities at some point. But I think the fun of playing was the first thing that had me hooked on it when I was seven years old. So I think it comes from that. (laughs) Well, since the saxophone is such a new instrument relative to the other instruments of the orchestra, for example, its repertoire is limited. But instead of bemoaning that fact, you decided just to say, I'm playing everything and anything. That must be very liberating that the saxophone might have actually a bigger repertoire than any other instrument because it has such a limited repertoire. Yeah, I think so. And I think luckily as a saxophone player, we get away with a lot more. So a saxophone player can present a recital with Telemann at the beginning and maybe uh, Bjork or David Bowie at the end because the saxophone is the kind of vehicle through all these different sounds. And there are so many connections between music of the past and music now outside of the classical sphere or inside the classical sphere that I think we don't always see presented side by side in concerts. And I think that's a really exciting opportunity to to present a wider range of music still with this kind of same idea of doing it the best you possibly can. And it's still requiring, you know, lots of thought and um, programming and that arc of energy that you try and get in the concert, but it can be from anywhere and everywhere. What do you think it is specifically about the saxophone's sound that enables it to do it? The sound is so malleable. So it's it's really interesting to me that so many instrumentalists, it's like the voice is the optimum. You know, there's always, oh, my my instrument is so close to the human voice. No, the cello is the closest. And, and Everybody says kind of, that. Everybody they, says yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> no matter what they play. And it kind of fascinates me. It's like, okay, so why why is that the, the optimum, the human voice? Is that because that's a universal sound that we can all connect to? Is that because we feel like that's the the higher power and we all want to be singers you know what what is it about our instruments being vocal that is such a positive and i think the thing is with the saxophone is it it can be very vocal it can imitate uh, human sounds it can imitate a yawn it can imitate crying wailing sighing all the kind of human elements but then it also has a a really hard edge and I think it's that whole scope of possibility with the sound the fact that you can give a rip-roaring solo that's like piercing people's ears at the back of a concert hall or you can whisper with it and I think it's the, the scope of sound um, and it, it is vocal and it can be vocal but also the sound away from being vocal like just as its own saxophone sound it's got, kind of got this like ethereal yeah ethereal yeah definitely I think it's really special You know, the trumpet and the saxophone are somewhat similar instruments given the saxophone is made out of brass. So when I play the trumpet, there's a feeling of vibration that happens through the instrument. Because the instrument's metal, you actually feel that as part of your body. What does it feel like to you when you're playing the saxophone? Yeah, I think it's such a 
it's such an ergonomic instrument. Like on a practical level, it, it has been designed so brilliantly by Adolf Sachs because it I is... I never thought of that. It's Yeah, it's so comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it sits there and your hands just go to it. And it's, I mean, it can get heavy sometimes. And like, especially if you're smaller or like when I was younger, like it can feel heavy. But other than that, it's so brilliantly designed to just be comfortable. And I, yeah. I never thought about that. My wife teaches violin to the kids just starting and twisting their neck and putting their arm. It's just like you're tied up in a pretzel and it takes years just to get used to holding your body that way. It's completely unnatural. Maybe I should tell her students to just pick up the saxophone. <laughs> but I think it also like it comes across in a lot of the playing like you, people, the stereotype saxophone player is a kind of relaxed sort of you know you think of a, a cool jazz dude playing the saxophone and I mean that's a, a huge generalization but I think a lot of the appeal of the instrument is that it is a kind of mirror it's a reflector of emotion and of of feeling of what you put into it is really kind of what comes out and to play it you do it's the same thing you feel all the vibrations across the different parts of the head and I wear glasses, so sometimes you feel your glasses like move up and down a little bit on the nose. And it's a very it's a very comfortable and satisfying sensation, the kind of the the whole production of sound and feeling it. And it's very natural, which is, mm. yeah. We've got a lot to thank Adolf Sachs for. <laughs> yeah. Um, you were exposed to music at a very early age because your dad played and taught drums in the Barracudas Carnival Arts Centre, which is a school but it's also a traveling band and it's a community center. I, I don't think we have anything like that here in the States. Can you just describe what exactly that is? Yeah, of course. It ran two nights a week and there were free workshops for anybody of the local community to do dance, drumming, stilt walking, like in the circus, um, or saxophone. And I think trumpet, actually. I think there was trumpet as well. And we would play at carnivals around the UK. So it was an amazing place to start. Did you realize as a kid that this was an extraordinary and special existence? I don't think I had any idea. And especially, I think, before I'd picked up the saxophone, it was very much a chore of having to go to work with my dad. Every, you know, we didn't have a babysitter those nights, so I just had to go to my dad's work and be there while he was there and the most exciting thing for a while was the fact that there was a buffet of food in the in the brick <laughs> you know that's what you look forward to as a you know a six-year-old seven-year-old i still look forward to complimentary food <laughs> so it would that would be the kind of yeah go there and, and have to be with my dad and i would probably want to be at home i was quite a I was definitely a bookworm so i would have been, wanted to be at home just reading just being quiet but then the day that I picked up the saxophone, that all changed. And then I I wanted to go there. I wanted to um, learn. I wanted to um, buy my own saxophone. I started practicing. And At what age was that? That was at seven. Mm. Yeah. And the, then the lessons were group lessons as well. So you would learn with maybe two or three other people. And then when I was about 12, then I would start helping the people who were just starting. So everything was kind of cyclic as well, is that you would pass on what you were learning. And it was very, very casual, but not without wanting quality and things to be great. So everything was about having fun and being together, but underpinning it was a, but we have a, we have a performance to do at the weekend. So we have to make sure that this is 
the best it can be. So I think the kind of marriage of those two things set me in good stead for for then becoming a more, um, well, I guess, a professional musician later later in life and having to always balance those two. It has to be great, but also relaxed. At that young age, when you would go and perform at these carnivals with stilt walkers around you and bands and dancers, you must have been just tiny. <laughs> was that intimidating as a little kid? Yeah, I was very shy as a young girl. And I think that was where I probably found my kind of voice and, and way of expression. And I look back at pictures now and the costumes would be, you know, these amazing bright costumes. It was very much a, a show. It was very much a performance. But I think the fact that there wasn't a stage made a big difference because everything was moving. You're walking through the streets. And I think that thing of everything being on the move and it kind of being we're all moving together and then people are just observing it for a short time hasn't quite got the same pressure of going to watch a concert for an hour where it's that very quite intense experience. So I think actually not stepping onto a stage until being a little bit older made a big difference in how I then approached being on stage. And it, I, yeah, I definitely was shy to begin with, but by, you know, a couple of years in, I would be dancing while we were playing on the streets, you know, with everyone, it was a big explosion of, of colour. And when you fast forward to last year in 2022 and you give your Carnegie Hall recital debut, do you try to bring that element of playing in the streets and dancing with people to a very formal concert stage like Carnegie Hall? Yeah, definitely. Because for me, a lot of the reason I play music and keep performing music is to do with people and not in a kind of super egotistical I need audiences approval sort of way but I love the fact that the power of music can bring an audience to a different space that is definitely I think stemmed from my first experiences with music being based around connecting with people and is that connection somewhat harder in a place like Carnegie Hall when you're giving your recital and you have all these expectations on yourself? Is it more of a challenge or is it just another venue to you? No, it's it's definitely definitely more of a challenge. And I think a lot of that pressure we put on ourselves as performers, we want to play the best we've ever played every single concert. And there's always more to be done. But then I think so much of, of what we do, I think, is about balance of, of the idea that Every time we play and every every venue we play, regardless of the venue, whether it's Carnegie Hall or busking on the street, whatever it is, is we've got to make it feel like everything and nothing at the same time. Because if we don't play well, the consequences aren't huge. Um, it's disappointing for us. You know, at worst, it might be career ending, but that's just my career. I'm not a heart surgeon. But then at the same time, I did a concert last night and... There was a lady that, that came up afterwards to the sign-in and said, you know, I'm having a really rough time in my life. I've been been really, really struggling and this, this concert has given me life. It's given given reason. So it's kind of holding that perfect balance of you've got the opportunity every time you play to try and emit a little bit of radiance and joy to whoever's in the room with you. But at the same time, if, if that doesn't happen, nobody was hurt. <laughs> You know, I'm still trying to picture you starting the saxophone at age seven. It must have been a 
beast. Like you were, it must have looked like you were holding a radiator in your hands. Like, <laughs> what were those first notes like? Was it very frustrating or did you take to it right away? So I can remember the first sound that I made. I can remember picking up the saxophone and trying it and that being a kind of a light bulb. Something was set off in my brain, I think, then because I can remember this. And it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't a nice sound. It was some kind of honk. But I think the the fact that it was loud and the fact mm. that I, as soon as I picked it up, I made a sound, I think really helped because I think if I'd have picked it up and thought, oh, this is kind of fine. But the fact there was this huge sound there, then I was, I guess, kind of in love with it. I can remember the first tune I learned was Hot Cross Buns, I think, like everyone. And I remember if I was misbehaving at home, the punishment would be the saxophone goes on the fridge and you're not allowed to touch the saxophone. Like I must have been so much in love with with, with it and what it could do. So I think a, a lot of it came from just enjoying playing it and being a lot of the practice coming from me and it not seeming like formal practice because my lessons were quite casual in the group lessons to begin with. So it wasn't a regimented, you need to practice this this amount per day. It was kind of self-driven. It has to come from you if you're a musician. It can't come from, from other people, I don't think. Obviously, you took to it quickly because by the time you were 13, you were already sponsored and doing endorsements for a company that built your custom saxophones. And you gave a TED Talk when you're 15. I mean, this is a meteoric rise by any standard. Did it feel that way as it was happening? Um, I think there was an ethos within my family that if you're doing something, you're doing it well. <laughs> so my mom and dad have an amazing work ethic. They run a small business. Uh, it's a tea shop, right? Yeah, a tea shop. <laughs> you're the most British person I've ever talked to. And just to put it over the edge, <laughs> You grew up with your parents owning a tea shop. <laughs> yep, a, a traditional English tea room with a with a shop next door, and yeah, it's it's very 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 British. Tea leaves, tea strainers, you know, the whole shebang. That's like embarrassingly accurate for what we think <laughs> all of you are. <laughs> but yeah, growing up there and seeing their work ethic definitely helped. In your development, was this unbridled enthusiasm met with challenges either physically on the instrument or musically that you had a hard time with? Yeah, I have challenges every day with the instrument of never producing the sound that's in my head. That's the constant challenge of that's the thing we're working to all the time is that kind of like golden sound. And it might be one note in a concert where you think, yes, that was it. And then it's how, how that's... How is that possible for the whole concert next time? Through your performances and your teaching and even your BBC podcast, This Classical Life, it seems like your life's mission so far has been to encourage people to communicate through music. In your experience, what is the best way to get that point across? I think there's nothing that can replace playing to someone just or taking someone to a live music experience whether that's a concert or a carnival or whatever it might be but actually just experiencing the the right thing the thing that you think might tick with a certain person and then set them on the spiral of looking at other things is the best way to do it or for them to try making music themselves it's like 
we don't stop suddenly stop learning when we're 18 and like so many opportunities just seem to suddenly stop when you're when you turn 18 you might not be handed a musical instrument from school or want to start music lessons or that kind of thing and I think it's kind of given anybody of any age an opportunity to interact with it and for it to not be a closed door because classical music wasn't part of their childhood or wasn't part of their upbringing so it's still not something for them but I think yeah taking someone to a concert with the right program and saying Mm. okay you didn't enjoy this one but you can't then say that you don't like classical music because of these four pieces because there are hundreds of others that are the total opposite of what we just listened to so I think it's like yeah encouraging perseverance and finding the right live music to to get someone hooked I gotta tell you as I'm talking to you now, it's dawning on me that you are Lisa Simpson. <laughs> it's not that you both play the saxophone. It's it's more than that. She's the moral compass and has the same musical conviction that you do. Growing up, there was Barbara Thompson, the saxophone player, and Lisa Simpson. They were my female role models that played the saxophone. And even if I didn't play the saxophone, I see a lot of my... I think, like, young characteristics in Lisa. You know, I, I was a SWAT at school. I was a perfectionist. I would want to be on time. I would be planned and organised, and, and she is that. And I think that's also sometimes kind of hard to balance with operating in a creative world because you have that organised side, kind of straight down the middle side, and I then find myself in a world where people might be writing music or improvising or being creative, and you think, well... Oh, I'm not that. I'm not creative. I'm just kind of playing these notes that are straight in front of me. And Lisa played jazz. So I was thinking, well, Lisa could do that. She could do both. She could be straight down the middle and also then all of the curves that come on the side. But she's an inspiration to many. You know, it's really sad. Loads of schools that I've been into recently, I'll say, oh, does anybody know anyone that plays the saxophone? And after you've got through the kind of all my sister and my friend, I say, no, I'm thinking anybody on TV. Does anyone know a famous saxophone player? And then it still don't get the answer. I think, you know, she's yellow. Anybody know who it might be? And people don't watch (laughs) The Simpsons anymore. So people aren't watching Lisa anymore, which is really sad. But I hope she, yeah, I hope she keeps on. Maybe in America it's different. (laughs) It's safe to say a lot of things are different here. (laughs) Well, it's just been great talking to you. Oh, thank you. And so nice to meet you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Speaking Soundly. If you like what you heard, please tell your friends about it. Spread the word. Be sure to follow, rate us, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. To keep up on future episodes, follow us on Instagram at speakingsndly and visit our website, artfulnarrativesmedia.com. Tune in next week as we hear another inspiring artist speaking soundly.